We're going to read verse 12. Who has measured the waters? We lost it. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Are with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord and his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I thank you, sir. I've been given several instructions to speak into the mic because I have a tendency to uh, mumble. Uh, my wife has confirmed it, and so I've just accepted it as a fault in my... Well, good morning, church. Uh, good morning. Good morning. All right, everybody's there. I thought I'd do this chair thing because I thought it would be kind of a, an anchor for me. So if I get up, I know I have somewhere else to come back to. Um, it is truly an honor uh, to address each of you um, this morning. Uh, my family and I, we've been here at Sanctuary since uh, 2013 um, when, when we met over at the piano bar. And um, first, uh, before I get started, a couple of things. Number one, uh, I have to thank God, like every uh, actor, actress that wins an award or athlete that uh, wins a Super Bowl, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, not, uh, not to be cliche, but earnestly, because I wouldn't be here having the opportunity, the privilege to speak about God's word and to speak about who Jesus is uh, if it were not for him coming into my life in very specific ways and through very specific people. Um, at very specific times, so thank you first and foremost to him. Second, to the leadership, to Andrew uh, and to uh, Pastor Sarah, Pastor Rick over at North, um, for them uh, inviting me, uh, allowing me to listen in, allowing me to be a part of the song, but sometimes not always mentioned to their spouses, to Greg, to uh, Corey, and to Virginia, uh, people that... Uh, I believe actually make, just in my own experience and, and what my wife has done, they are the ones that enable them to do the work that they're doing here in this church. So thank you to them. Um, and lastly, to you all, um, for those of you that are just coming, that are just new to sanctuary, just new to the way of Jesus, um, thank you for uh, entrusting in this church and entrusting in the leadership uh, the opportunity to speak life into uh, what you are going through in your lives. And so... Um, I just, I hope that anything I say is, is edifying for you. People don't sometimes think about the word, like, what is edifying? It's, it's the building up. It's the, the purification. It's the, the driving um, to make you better than you were before. And so um, regardless of who is up here, if they are doing their job right, just know this as a teachable moment. Uh, it shouldn't matter uh, who is actually speaking. It should matter what is being said and trust that it's the Lord speaking through them because that's the prayer of the leadership here in this community. So with that, I like this too. It's a little armrest. Um, we're entering Advent, right? It's a, it's a happy time. Who here, a uh, round of applause, is like excited for Christmas time? Like, yes? Oh, that was, that was pretty good. I was expecting like a half-hearted, eh, some people. Um, man, I I know that I know it's Christmas time, right? Because uh, my wife instructed me to bring out the tree after Thanksgiving, 
I don't know if that's like a tradition in anybody else's house, but that's what we, we do. And um, I've had to kind of accommodate uh, those different traditions that my wife wanted to start up. Um, it's, uh, it's clear that music is going to change. You're going to start hearing more of uh, Handel's Messiah. You're going to hear more of, I don't know if anybody's a fan of Pentonic's Christmas album. Is that a popular thing? All right, I figured, you hipsters. Um, I, no, that's a big thing. Like we are, we are constantly playing over and over the uh, the Pentonics Christmas album, which is was quite amazing. Um, I gotta be honest, I don't really like it that much. I don't really like that this this like Christmas season stuff. Because to me, it's I'm I'm kind of like to be honest, I'm like a reformed Grinch. Uh, I, I started out, uh, you know, I was a kid, I love presents and Christmas and yay, because I'm going to get stuff. But then I realized, oh, you know, I got into my, my teens, I'm like, oh, I'm too cool for Christmas. Nah, it's cool, you know, whatever. And then I got to be an adult, and then I was like, well, this is really a distraction. It's, I, I have work to do. I have things I'd rather get done. I don't want to stop and smell the roses. Um, but regardless... I still know that something special is happening on Christmas time. And I've been walking with the Lord for about 12 years, uh, since I was uh, 25. And I, I recognize, I have to recognize that there is something special about this period. There's something special about this season. Uh, there's, there's an excitement about it. Now, even if you're not somebody, whether you don't follow Jesus or you're not even into Christmas that much, um, you don't really have a choice, right? Because a lot of people around you are still looking at it. A lot of people around you are still excited about it. So you have to kind of by default navigate your way around it if you don't like it, if you don't enjoy the season. And so one thing I think regardless of your feeling on Christmas, pro, con, what have you, is you have to notice the coming of something. And that's all Advent is, right? Advent is the coming, the, the, the arrival of something. Little a, it's the arrival of Twitter. It's the arrival of television. It's the arrival of whatever, fill in the blank. But big A, we know Advent is the arrival of Christ. That's how we recognize it. That's how we look at it. If you want to look at the formal definition, it's the arrival of Jesus. And specifically, it's the arrival of hope embodied in the form of Jesus, you know, that's one of the, the, the primary themes of Advent. It's this arrival, this arrival of peace, arrival of joy, and arrival of hope. But a lot of people wonder, okay, well, what is hope? Hope is ambiguous, right? That's, what does that mean? I, I hope for some obvious people in the front row, I hope the Patriots win another Super Bowl, right? Like, that's, that's, a, that's a disappointing hope. No, I... <laughs> I'm from Pittsburgh originally, even though Andrew thinks I'm from the South, and so I'm, I'm bothered by how the Patriots have as many Super Bowls as the Steelers, um, but it's, it's cool. I, I understand the, the passion behind it. I've learned after seven years, I've come to develop a healthy respect for the Patriots. Um, I don't like it, but I, I have to respect them. Uh, all the passion of Patriots. Yes, yeah, right. You better believe it. But... Other people have a different type of hope. Other hope kind of comes to each of us. If you were to say, what are you hoping for this season? Some people are saying, I, I hope I uh, can make my rent next month. Some people are saying, I, I hope uh, when my family visits, that one person doesn't say that ugly thing that I know they're waiting to say. And they, they go to church too. Like, what, what is that about? Some people have a, a very heavy hope. They hope that they make it to tomorrow. And so we experience hope in different ways. And the one thing that I, 
I would offer and I would suggest that we start thinking about is, are we looking at hope in the same way that God is? Are we looking at hope in the, in the way that he intended it to come into this world through his son? I call this, uh, if I was to characterize it, I would call it a holy hope. If people understand the word holy, you, it's, it's helpful to think of it or to understand it as something set apart. It, it sits, you can raise it above or set it off to the side, but it sits very uniquely positioned in a way that, that differs itself from hoping about the patriots or hoping about making it to tomorrow. It's, it's holy. It is something special. And that's, that's really why Jesus is so amazing, because he has lived and died and been buried and resurrected. And that's something that is set apart. You haven't seen that before. That doesn't exist in any other story. The promise that I will come, I will live, I will die, I'll be buried, and I will get up, and you will not be able to find my body, that's pretty heavy. That's a holy type of hope, a, a holy thing to put your hope in. And so, next logical question is, all right, well, if, if I'm not going to, uh, if I want to learn more, where am I going to learn about it? You could ask your neighbor. You could probably get some good piece of information. My recommendation the thing that I, I believe is going to guarantee you to understand more about this holy type of hope is through Scripture. That's why we always reference Scripture. We believe it to be authoritative because it describes how God has met real people in real places at real times. Quote to Andrew Mook. It confirms, the Scripture confirms those heavenly things, the heavenly things, the holier things that are better and truer. And so when we turn back to our scripture, I don't know if you could put the, the verse 12 up there again. Um, I'm reading from a different translation. Who else has held the oceans in his hand or measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who else has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? If you keep reading on, he just he keeps asking questions. God is this is this is God speaking, right? It's somebody recording what they've they have heard from the Lord above. And it's pretty bold. Like it's kind of arrogant. It's a little like I'm kind of a big deal. You know. But why are these why are these verses so important? Why would he bother saying these things? To me, I, I look at this scripture, this this one verse, and you see it in other places throughout scripture. But at least in Isaiah 40 and, and in this verse, to me, he's laying out his resume. Does anybody know what a, uh, just show a hand, do you know what a, a curriculum vitae is? So often referred to as a CV. All right. So a lot of people in academia, I didn't know this until I, I went, uh, until I got to school, but it's basically, a cur curriculum vitae is Latin for course of life. And so if you've applied for a job, usually you get your resume out, right? You get your, you're told to not, do not put anything on there longer than uh, two pages. Two pages, they'll probably toss it out. Employers will toss it out, and, uh, but keep, be brief about it. All of Scripture uh, is like the curriculum vitae. The curriculum vitae, is, in, in contrast, can be 30 pages. I looked at a professor's curriculum vitae or CV one time. It was 28 pages. It was exhausting. It was the longest bragging list I had ever seen. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. And I know who they were, and so I, I'm not like a big fan of theirs, so I was like, eh. oh, I know how you got that thing. You didn't, you know, whatever. 
I mean, somebody like emailed you and so you replied yes and all of a sudden your name showed up and you listed that, like, come on. Let's be a little, let me trim it down a little bit. But 28 pages, that's ridiculous. And it can get longer. But sometimes you do have to summarize, you gotta make a resume. To me, this is God's resume. He says, who else? Who else is measuring the heavens? Who else is weighing the earth? Because to him, it's like a drop in the bucket. The nations are a drop in the bucket. That's intense. And so to me, he's laying out in this verse, his resume. It's proof of who he is and what he's done. And these questions that he asks, that you read throughout, and it depends on which version you read, they are a call, they're an invitation to trust in this type of hope that he is preparing to send, this hope in the son, Jesus. To me, in an indirect way, He's kind of saying, you know what, I am a big deal, and no one else is going to do or give you a reason more for the hope than me. They're rhetorical. They're rhetorical questions. It's like, who else, is, who else knows, who else has advised me? Like, who else? It's kind of like, I don't know if your parents ever did that to you. Like, you're, you're going where tonight? What, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> Because I know what you're doing. You don't think you think you know, but you don't know that I know that you don't you don't know what you're doing. That's like any good parent, any good responsible parent would say, look, I, I, that's very cute, but you don't know what you're doing. I am God. And so we stick with the scriptures because we find examples of this type of hope. We find examples where God has met people with that specific type of holy hope. And you find it, it's, it's throughout scripture and it's in his story. One thing that we talk about in, in Sanctuary Seminary is, is the notion, the understanding that the Bible is not, it's not just Old and New Testament. Yeah, you can break it up and you could divide it into the different, the poetry books, the history. But it's one complete story. If you think about, one thing I like, another th- aspect of this verse, if, uh, what's like a, po- all right, so who remembers Lost? Like the show Lost? I knew it wasn't going to be a lot of people. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, we got, I got my people out there. What's a, what's a show today that people are watching that has like a, a theme, an underlying theme, like Man in the High Castle? Does anybody know that one? Oh, gosh. Good. Don't watch that. It's, uh, it's very deep. Uh, what's like, shout out like a, a name of a show like that's, like you have to watch the first season to understand the last season or to appreciate it. What? Good place. Okay. All right. That's good. Yeah, that's lighter. I like that one. That's, that's lighter than High Castle. Gosh. Um, that's about Nazis. <laughs> it is not fun. Scriptures, in the context of a story, it, these scriptures, this verse is like a callback. If you think about the term of a callback in television shows and music, they're referencing something that you have to have seen the beginning or you have to have seen the early portions to understand. This verse is like a callback to Genesis. Like, by the way, I created all these things. And so it's critical for you to find yourself in that story. It's critical for you to understand, hey, I see that, that story about the, that person and God responded to them. I, I see elements of me in that story. That allows you to find that connection to Scripture. And that's why I encourage you all to, um, to go beyond these walls and to spend time in it. Start with five minutes. Go to ten but find yourself in the story. And so all I want to do is, and if you could put the, the next slide up, it's a critical 
to, your, to find yourself in this story because there's examples of where God has met people with very specific types of hope. Now, these labels are not all-encompassing. They're not all-consuming. They're not meant to fully embody you as an individual. They don't encapsulate who you are, but maybe you'll find elements of yourself in them. I identify the veteran Christian. That may be the person who comes to church. They've, they've been here Maybe not in this specific church, but they've just been a part of church culture. They grew up in the church, and they are a veteran, right? They know the storyline. They understand the rhythms. They understand the, the history. God is providing and, and saying, I'm giving you a hope that no one else is going to fulfill the promises that I've made to you. If they've been walking with the Lord for a long time, hopefully they've heard from the Lord about different things in their life, and maybe they haven't seen them come to fruition yet. So you find an example of scripture in that. Simeon. Simeon is a man who has, has been faithful to God for a long time, and he, he eventually gets the privilege of seeing Jesus. He gets, he was told about this. He was told, hey, you're going to see my promises fulfilled. And you see his testimony in, uh, in Luke, where he says, Lord, I, I commend my spirit. I'm, I'm good. I've seen Jesus. I, you fulfilled your promise. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, he's, he's going to fulfill what he told you he would do. And there's hope in that. To the curious, right? So that's not necessarily the person that um, follows Jesus. It's just you're here, you're excited, you're, you love the worship, you love the environment. You say, hey, regardless of all that crap that's happening out there, I know I can come here because it truly is a sanctuary for me to rest, to rest my mind. Uh, but I do want to know more about this Jesus. What does it look like to follow him? I identify with this one um, just because of my own walk and where I was in my life when I dedicated my life to the Lord. The Ethiopian eunuch. You can read about an individual who is sitting by the road, has a position, has a, a, a great position in royalty uh, to an Ethiopian queen and, and is sitting and, and has, uh, has scripture just happens to have access to scripture, but doesn't know what they're reading. God gives hope in saying that no one will minister to you or educate you the way that I will. God sends someone to go teach him what he's reading. Has anybody come into your life, maybe not in the last day, it's a little too soon, maybe in the last year, have new people arrived in your life that are ministering to you? Do you understand, like, ministering, like, like, encouraging you in a way that has no strings attached, just somebody that wants to see you do better in life? Maybe they don't even follow Jesus, but have you ever wondered that maybe God sent that person in your life? And maybe it's a, an, an invitation to turn and to start looking at Jesus a little bit more intently? To the skeptic, this is a, a, a kind of hope God provides, um, saying that no one else is going to invite you into conversation. You ask as many questions as you want. We're going to keep answering them. The Lord will continue to provide an answer. You may not like the answer. You may not be comfortable with what the answer is. But he will continue to patiently wait with you to squash that skepticism, to squash that frustration, that baggage that you may be holding. It doesn't mean that people in the church who follow Jesus aren't skeptical because we're not perfect. But 
God will give you hope that you can continue to ask any question you want, whether it's of the leadership, whether it's of people that you've had a chance to see in the pews next to you. Surprise somebody and say, hey, can, I, can we meet up one day for coffee? I'd like to, I just want to talk. I see you, you know, you got your hands raised and you look like you know what's going on here. You look like you, you buy into this. I just want to talk it out. It's not about trying to, to convince you. God changes the heart. We as individuals, we don't have that, that authority. It's God who changes your heart. Those of us who follow Jesus, we are told simply to testify, to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to beat you over the head with a Bible, although people have done that, and they are wrong. But we are called, the true calling is to share your testimony, share the gospel. And so for the skeptic, we love you because we want to edify you. We want to build you up. We want to share what is so exciting about why we raise our hands in the first place. To the sick person, and this, one's, can, this one can look a lot of different ways. This is a hope that God will heal you in a way that you had no idea was possible. Andrew spoke one time, uh, I think it was last week, he gave the, um, the account of a woman who testified about the testimony of another woman, I think, who was, who was sick. He didn't mention the type of sickness, what it was, but whatever was happening in this woman's body, she, she was sick for years and said eventually she gave up. She was a follower of Jesus, so she didn't give up in the sense of like, I want to die. This is what she said, look, Lord, I have not gotten well, but whatever you're trying to teach me through this, Use me. And I believe right after that, she was healed. Or she recovered, or there was some kind of change in her life. And God revealed to her how he wanted to use her. If you are sick, and sickness doesn't do that, it's not limited to, to physical ailment. Maybe you wrestle emotionally. Maybe it is physical. Whatever it is, God is providing a hope through the knowledge of his son Christ of healing in a way that you weren't expecting, that you may not expect. That's why we look at the woman with the issue of blood, a woman sick for 12 years. I don't think I could be that patient. I would be extremely irritated and agitated, but something about the hope that God gave through the knowledge of his son Christ when, God, when Jesus was walking through the town and the woman said, I gotta, I gotta, let me just touch his garment. Something may happen. I have hope that something will change. Lastly, to the, I guess the one way to cause the prodigal, the person that comes back to church, but they, they're like, you know what, I, I know what the story of the church is. I grew up in church. I understand the nature of, of what God is, but I saw some really cool things out there, and those two vi things didn't vibe, and so I, I chose that way, but you know what, I'm, I'm back. Thing is, though, I don't, I don't want to come up to the front. I don't want any attention. I just want to do my own thing, I'll come, I'll give my ties. I identify with this one too. I was so disgusted and, and deterred by, uh, by the failings of men, men I trusted, men I, I had uh, belief in, and they all turned out to be scum. <laughs> and then I met Jesus, and things changed, because you know what God said? He said, you know what? I am perfect, they are not. I will pull you back in. So it took time, though. It took time for me to get over that, but there was still an element of feeling like I, I don't deserve to have any spotlight. I don't deserve to tell anybody else about what I've gone through. No, 
That's the whole point of the prodigal son. When you reference that scripture in Luke, you have this man that says, look, I, 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 just, I wasted my inheritance. I lost it all. Maybe at best, I can hang out with, with the pigs in the trough and, and just, just get a little meal for myself. But I know where the goodness resides. God says, no, I'm going to welcome you back in a way that you would never expect. I'm going to use you in a way that you would never have thought could be possible. I can keep going. I keep giving lists after lists, but this is why we encourage you to study the scriptures because there's a story in there for you about the hope that you have to trust in. All these declarations, all these little examples I've given are hope. They're examples of hope that can be trusted. It's trusted because there's enough testimony throughout history. This is just what's in scripture. What about the individuals across churches throughout this city, throughout this country, throughout this world who can testify to the goodness of God about the hope that he has given them? They just aren't recorded down. Some people are blogging. Some people are writing websites. Some people are on television. Like, it's, it's all around us, and that's the excitement of Advent. I'm honored to be able to share that part of Advent. It's amazing because there's so much that can be learned. There's so much hope to be had that's so set apart from the more or from the lesser things of life. The last thing I'll say is that this type of hope, the, the nature of this hope and being holy, one thing I believe that sets it apart, it's one of many things, is that it's hope without baggage. And what do I mean by that? So, if uh, I, I love hearing about new couples that have just gotten married, um, but this concept is really relevant to any two parties, right, two entities. The concept of a covenant versus a contract. And so if you, if, you, if you didn't know there was a distinction, there is. And if you're a lawyer, hopefully I get this right. For a contract, and it's really describing the nature of God. God provides us with a covenant type of hope through his son, Jesus. A contract is when you have two entities, both entities have this agreement. They say, hey, we're going to enter into a partnership. And I have my list of things that I'm going to do, and you have your list of things that you're going to do. They don't have to be equal. You could have 15. I could have 29. But... I'm going to do all of my 29 things, and you're going to do all of your 15 things. Now, if you don't do one of those 15 things or a subset or all but one, I'm out. I'm good. I, don't, I, have no, I no longer have any bond to you. I'm no longer obligated to keep up my end of the bargain. That's why it's tough in relationships when you think you have a solid bond with somebody and then because you did one wrong thing or because they did one wrong thing, one of you chooses to dismiss the other. That's what makes it hurt so much because you had these expectations that that list of things that maybe you even never spoke about would be fulfilled. The beauty of covenant is when in contrast, you have two parties but there is no list. Both parties say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do. I'm not leaving. 
I'm right here. I'm giving you a hope. God is saying, I am giving you a hope that will not leave. Andrew mentioned this last week in, in, a, in a different way, but the church is still here, folks. God is still present. We celebrate because we remember, hey, he is still coming. He is still drowning out the darkness with these lights. The last part, uh, the last thing I'll say is uh, it's a call. Because the question now is, okay, you're giving me these examples, and that's great, but how, what do you want me to do about that? To me, when I was in school, um, I was in engineering, so there was, there was always the theory classes, and then there were the labs. And I hated the labs. Because I knew that it would require a greater deal of uncertainty that I wouldn't get a good grade. I knew it'd be more pressure because I'd have to get in there and, and dig into the actual assignment. I'd have to try something more than memorizing the formulas. Church, when we come here on Sunday, this is my personal belief, this is our lecture. This is our lecture, this is where we study, this is where we are safe to learn the formulas, to learn the practices, but out there where it's ugly and it's mean and it's angry and it's uncertain, that is your lab. That is where you experiment. That is where you try to understand what does hope look like out here? We know what it looks like in here. You're safe in here. But out there, what does it look like? And so the question is, when you're out there, can you trust in this type of hope? And are you paying attention to how it comes? This is a hope that is manifested in the truth, in the life of Jesus that he will make things right. If your hope is for your family, we mentioned Christmas time and people getting together, are you prepared for the hope in how he will restore relationships that you didn't think could be restored? If the issue is money, are you prepared for the hope in how he'll provide resources you didn't think were possible? Maybe it's not going to come in the form of a check. Maybe it's not going to be a bag of money floating from the sky. Maybe it's somebody giving you a call and saying, hey, can I watch your kids for a little bit? Because I saw that you look stressed. <laughs> I'm just speaking from experience. If the issue is stress or anxiety, are you prepared for the hope of experiencing a godly peace that you didn't think was possible, that you had never experienced before? It doesn't mean it'll happen tomorrow. It doesn't mean it'll happen eventually. In, in the near future, but it's a hope that God will provide because he's still on the throne. That's what we're declaring here every Sunday. So, um, I want to invite the, um, as we come to the table, um, if we have communion, <laughs> I want us to think about that challenge. I want to offer that up to you as you go out and as you progress. Try to follow Advent. I'll be honest, since we got here to, to Sanctuary, I never really paid attention to those explicit Christmas uh, seasons, those Christmas holidays. I knew Christmas, right? But I didn't, I didn't think too much about Advent. It wasn't part of the culture in my household growing up. But we have four weeks, church. We have four weeks to pay attention. This week, let's focus on hope. Let's focus on a holy hope. Identify, hey, what is unique about the hope that God is providing? Are we looking to the sun? 
Are we understanding in the ways in which he is bringing hope to us? So that's my challenge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for just the blessing, Lord, the blessing of knowledge, knowledge of your word, knowledge of the gift that you're giving to us. As we kick off Advent, Father, I thank you for humble hearts. I thank you for individuals earnestly seeking you, skeptically questioning you, continually curious, long time walking with you, Lord. Father, we just pray in Jesus' name as we come forward to receive communion that you place on our heart the challenge of seeking that hope that you've given to us. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.